Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Welcome back to our podcast. I'm really excited today to be talking with a very, very interesting young man named Ian. Ian has been through a lot, certainly in his childhood and also in his uh, later years, his young adult years, um, dealing with uh, stimulant drugs, being on stimulant drug cocktails as a, as a child. And he will tell us more about that, but I just wanted to uh, say hello to Ian. Hi, Ian. Hi, Roman. Thank you for having me. This is great. My pleasure. I really appreciate your um, openness, your you know vulnerability, your authenticity, sharing your story. Um, these are on our podcast real stories, real people, and I just find there to be a bravery uh, in today's uh, youth to really share their story. So I'm excited. To, um, why don't we dive in? So this show is called ADHD is Over. And it is a declaration. And you, at some point in your life, uh, which we'll talk about, said to yourself, uh, this is over, meaning this whole being on stimulant drugs, not feeling good about yourself. Do you remember a moment when you were just like, could you tell us about that moment when you said, like, that's it, no more? Um, I can't give you a moment where I uh, categorically said, I am not ADHD so much as just I had to get off the drugs because if I didn't, I was going to kill myself. Um, and I, I, the, the moment at which I realized all of psychiatry was bullshit fundamentally was upon uh, reading Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Ep uh, Epidemic published in 2010. Um, however, um, that I would, I, you know, every, everything for me, um, transmuted from this, th these artificial, useless, and highly destructive uh, DSM categories to um, a simple understanding that I had PTSD um, and that whatever um, self-care was going to happen going forward had to, was going to be uh, formulated in terms of uh, addressing the PTSD, which was the, you know, the only thing I had. So, if, if I'm hearing that correctly, what you're saying as well is what we believe is that it's really a result of, of reacting or dealing with unresolved trauma from the past that had you be the way you were when experts said, oh, that must be ADHD, that must be depression, that must be, you know, bipolar, whatever the, the, the labels that we throw at people, you felt or you discovered that there was, there was, there, there's these wounds there, right? It was no longer uh, the time to just slap a Band-Aid on it, but there was deeper wounds. Well, right. I mean, yes, and uh, slapping a Band-Aid is a very, very benign metaphor for, you know, systematic torture. <laughs> but yes, I did. I, um, the, the, uh, psychiatry was of no use to me. It had uh, just nearly destroyed my life. Um, and... Um, yeah, it, it was just a, a fundamental transformation in my thinking that occurred over um, years, um, but but began with um, the YouTube videos of Robert Whitaker and Peter Bregan, and from there grew to um, 
grew from reading Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Epidemic. So you mentioned two names, Robert Whitaker, who's also part of our project, and Peter Bregan, who we're talking about, uh, who we're talking to currently. And these two would be considered kind of the anti, you know, mainstream, the, the fringe doctors, the cr yeah. crazy conspiracy theories. Sure. What was it about them or what were sort of the main, uh, you know, points that you kept hearing that spoke to you at a deeper level? Well, one, um, I, in my lifetime, have been to about 10 psychiatrists, and I, I have never once uh, regarded these people as intellectuals or uh, even, you know, just moderately smart people. Um, they had always had struck me as out to lunch, completely uninvolved, um, completely disengaged mentally, not just apathetic as to the welfare of their patients, but also just um, uh, intellectually neuter. So um, I, I, I had already very um, um, scant faith in the profession. Then when you add to that, um, Peter Bregan uh, saying in YouTube videos what I had already, you know, kind of just everything that he was saying was dovetailing with my experience with these drugs. And then when you go to Robert Whitaker, just, I mean, Anatomy of an Epidemic is um, one of the most important books of um, the past century. It, it, it does for the um, pseudoscience of psychiatry, what Rachel Carson did in 1962 with Silent Spring um, to um, throw the veil off the lies that Agrochem were telling about the safety of pesticides. Um, it does the same thing that Upton Sinclair did um, in the jungle, um, revealing the uh, disgustingly unsanitary conditions of the meatpacking industry. This is um, just an, his book and his work is an absolute game changer, and it's just an absolutely devastating um, uh, salvo, just completely repudiating all of the bullshit science that is um, used by uh, the pharmaceutical industry and psychiatrists to push these uh, life-destroying substances on unsuspecting consumers who hear on MSNBC and CNN and uh, lazily written articles like the one in uh, Vice written by um, uh, journalist Shayla Love, which is just an absolute um, bastardization of the whole um, profession of journalism and her gross misreporting of everything about Matt in America and Robert Whitaker. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and why do you think, and this is getting a little philosophical, but you're, you're a very well-read, uh, educated young man, and, you know, why do you think that 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 the mainstream or people still are so buying into the the mainstream narrative that these drugs are safe and that these drugs actually are effective and they will bring, get you back to normal? What do you think it is about society that that parents will uh, keep medicating their children, keep listening to these guys in white robes and you know like or lab coats and and ties? Corporate money, my friend. Corporate. Mm. It's just uh, MSNBC, CNN, Fox News. Does, it doesn't matter if you're right or left. The overwhelming majority of the media we consume is um, dominated by corporate interests. MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News all have uh, pharmaceutical reps uh, sitting on their boards. Um, th this is this is all about money. And uh, anybody who thinks that uh, America, um, independent journalism is alive and well outside of the you know niche confines of the wonderful work of say Glenn Greenwald or Jeremy Scahill is. Uh, living in a very pleasant fantasy.
Um, as to the, if I, if I could just talk about the Shayla Love article that was published, I, I think a week or two ago in um, Vice, if we could just delve into what her personal motivation, as I'm sure well-meaning journalist was to get from like um, macro to micro. I, she is guilty of a sin, which I've observed in most people when discussing uh, criticism of psychiatry, which is she, like most people with most issues, goes for um, contrarian radical moderation. So without knowing anything, without having read any of the literature, she um, kind of just inserted herself in the middle and said, okay, both sides are too um, um, polar opposite. Both sides are too extreme. I'm going to more intelligently plant myself in the middle and be the wiser uh, mediator. The only problem with that is she doesn't know anything. And a lot of people don't know anything. And yet it is just this radical, this reflexive moderation, um, which deludes people that they, um, that, that they transcend um, both extremes, which is, which is um, obviously crap. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I totally agree with you. And it's interesting because you're someone, you were in it, right? And this is what we're talking about. We're talking yep. about your life, your experience. You were there. Yes, it's obvious that not 100% of kids that get medicated, you know, uh, end up going through what you went through. But I want parents to be aware of the fact that it is a bit like Russian roulette because you, Ian, yep. might be their son and this went wrong. So I want to go back to uh, what you remember, the earliest memory of when you were told there's something wrong with you or you may need to take a pill or there's just some upheaval going in, in your life. Feel free to take us as far back as, as you'd like. Well, I'm, af I'm afraid that your, view your listeners will have to be subjected to every gory detail because it is a complex story. And I, I can't begin in the fourth grade when my well-intentioned but uh, deluded fourth grade teacher said Ian may have ADHD. We have to go back to um, when I was four years old and I was told by my mother uh, who had just enrolled in therapy that what she had long kind of suspected but couldn't quite vocalize, which was that she had been raped and tortured by her psychopath pedophile father, um, instilled in me a lifelong terror that my um, pedophile grandfather would come back to our house and rape or kill my mother. So from that point forward, I lived in constant terror of that. This, is, this was the um, genesis of um, 20 plus years of complex PTSD. Um, then when you add to the fact that my parents had an unbelievably unhappy marriage, uh, both of them had incredibly abusive childhoods. My father was not a victim of sexual abuse. His childhood can't compare to the um, unexampled horrors that my mother endured, but it was still a really incredibly rough um, affection and stability deprived childhood. Um, and he, he and my mother were not um, physically or emotionally intimate uh, almost at all during my lifetime, it was, which is, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's much harder for men to uh, go without sex than women. It's not easy on anyone, but it is harder on men. And um, I, I'm sure that his emotional and sexual deprivation during my lifetime, um, especially my childhood, played into the um, uh, physical and emotional abuse he perpetrated against me. Um, so, yes, this... To just um, em embellish further on the, the the issues with my mother, without getting too um, graphic, I, I would attend. I would like I would go to her therapy sessions. I would wait in the lobby and I would hear her 
um, crying in agony. This was week after week, month after month, year after year, um, reliving the horrors, which is also, um, the, 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 we'll, we'll get into more of the idiot therapist who treated her, who ought to have lost her license and gone to jail for something we'll get to later. But um, yes, I, it was just, I was in it. I had no childhood. I was basically acting as therapist to two incredibly damaged and unbelievably narcissistic personalities. Um, so yeah, like the fact that I couldn't pay attention in school um, would hardly come as a surprise. And yet um, the, um, from day one, it was just, oh, well, because we're hearing about chemical imbalances in the media and because we're hearing about these wonder drugs, Adderall, Ritalin, they're saving lives. They're rescuing the um, um, unsalvageable um, victims of the, these terrible diseases. Um, you know, not, nobody thought to investigate the individual characteristics of the, the children who are exhibiting um, aberrant behavioral uh, characteristics. It was just brain disordered, um, neuro neurotransmitters not enough, put on drugs and everything will be fine. And that, you know, that's, that was a disaster. That was a disaster for my life. It, it's a disaster for millions of people who are put on these goddamn things. But that, that was what the, the, the idea introduced by my fourth grade teacher, and not to um, overly vilify my fourth grade teacher, because it hadn't been my fourth grade teacher, it would have been my fifth grade teacher, or my sixth grade teacher. Um, to, to get into the, I know ADHD is what your son was spuriously um, um, labeled as. Uh, my symptoms were, my fourth grade teacher would call on me, and um, I could tell her exactly what she was talking about, what was on the blackboard, et cetera. But I would be gazing out the window all the time. Um, I also had tremendous social dysfunction. I did not relate to kids. It's a little difficult to relate to kids about like, you know, bike riding and, you know, girls have cooties and shit when you're talking about your mother being raped. <laughs> I mean, it, there, I had abs there was just a total um, um, disparity between the thoughts that were going through my head, which were panicked and, uh, you, you know, like basic PTSD war zone kind of um, highly, hi highly panicked thoughts and those of most kids, which are, which are kid thoughts. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I think you want to give me a prompt for where you want me to go next. Yeah, I was, you know, this is really great because you, you've obviously thought this through and you're talking about it. Um, and for, for the, for our listeners, for a lot of listeners, this is some really heavy stuff. You know, this is, this is really you looking back, seeing your parents trauma, unresolved trauma, and basically their unwillingness to face it, to look at it and to say, you know what, there's some shit we have here to deal with. And, and, and if we deal with it, maybe our son will get better. Right. Well, right. Although I, first of all, I don't want any of your listeners to think, well, this, I mean, this guy, I did have a bad time of it. However, I do want to just, you know, emphasize, like I've had so many friends who have had so much worse than me, uh, sexual abuse as children. I was not sexually abused as a child. Like this, I, I do want to just emphasize child abuse is an epidemic has been probably since the dawn of civilization. And I don't want anybody to just walk away from this thinking, well, that poor individual, but you know, he's, he's an outlier or his is an extreme case. It's really not that extreme when you just all, all of the unspoken horrors which are perpetrated against children, which go unspoken. Um, that's point one. Point two is the, the thing with my mother was she, she, I mean, this is the danger of getting the wrong therapist. Um, 
is that you get the wrong therapist, it, the therapist can destroy your life. And that's what happened with my mother. And she was attempting to deal with her issues because she got into therapy with me because she was unable to uh, relate to me healthily. She had had such a horrible relationship with both her parents that there, there was just absolutely no um, framework for her to just naturally um, um, settle into the role of mother. And the therapist, rather than kind of helping her make peace with the past, helping her maybe prosecute her father, get a restraining order, get him into jail, uh, just do anything to actually actively protect her and give her a sense of security, um, instead proceeded to re-traumatize her for 15 years, reliving what amounts to essential memories that are not unlike those of concentration camp survivors. Um, so... It, it, yes, it is important for, um, you know, prospective parents who are um, going to raise kids to make sure they're, they're emotionally with it and emotionally stable and they don't have any unresolved crap that they could inflict on their kids. Um, however, th there is the second part, which never gets mentioned, which is um, you have to be very, very careful what therapist you get or it will destroy your life. Now, I want to go back to an important uh, point you made earlier. And that was that your mother, that you were, I forgot the, the age, I know we talked about this before, but at a very young age, your mother kind of unloaded her trauma with her father onto you, right? Because you said you were then living in fear that your grandfather would come back and do this again. Yeah. So, so do you, looking back, obviously that was way too early for a young child to hear these, these gruesome uh, the details. Right. I, I, was about, I was about four or five. I mean, the, the, if, if your listeners want to hear the worst of it, I, um, I be, excuse me, I became so attuned to what was going on in her head. Again, you have to, you have, I became so subsumed in my parents' trauma that I ceased to exist. I had no independent identity. I was just kind of this parasitic organism, um, just kind of observing and attempting to mediate their traumas and their um, behavioral excesses. And um, I, like one, one night, I would have been older, I don't know, seven or eight, I was ironing a shirt and I um, um, pressed the steam release button on the iron and my mother just kind of freaked. She um, just kind of went into this state of kind of catatonic horror and uh, went upstairs and I immediately knew, oh, that means she was uh, tortured with an iron or some kind of steam producing device. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, that was revealed in therapy. So, I mean, it was just, I had no life. I was in a horror movie of sorts in my head all the time. Um, yeah, that, that was what my life was like. And again, that, that was um, all the, the emotional damage and complexity of that situation, which could only have been ameliorated by a competent um, uh, family systems theory ther therapist like Marilyn Wedge was reduced to, um, he has ADHD. We've heard this um, cute watchword on TV and there's a miracle cure for it. So let's just get him on drugs and everything will be fine. Right. And, and, and like you said, first of all, we, ha we are living in, an, there, there's an epidemic and I'm not talking about the current the pandemic, but there's an epidemic of what you uh, called, 
I should say the epidemic of lack of wholesome parenting. We haven't learned that as a society. We, there's, there's a transgenerational trauma that we don't know how to stop, right? Or parents don't know how to stop it. Uh, we still don't really require parenting classes at certain stages of life. We just assume, yeah, 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 we'll just raise our kids. It's fine. We know what we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And I, what I'm hearing here is really two parents that um, really just were overwhelmed with so much trauma that, that there, was, there was almost a narcissistic way of saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong here. Uh, why is it such a taboo in our society still? I mean, I, I, I kind of know the answer, but I'm, I'm asking you, uh, uh, you know, you, you're out there, you've been there. Why is this such a taboo that we just do not talk about our traumas and do not talk about healing traumas and, you know, stopping the, that hand-me-down process? Well, I mean, I, th- I think we are getting, I, I think, I do think we discuss our traumas to an extent. I mean, it's not quite as stigmatized as it was. However, the, the, the um, prevailing narrative, whenever, you know, I don't know, Demi Lovato gets on TV and talks about bulimia or any other person talks about um, their struggles with mental illness, the, the punchline always has to be if it's going to be aired on corporate media. And then I got the drugs and I was great. Um, you're never mm-hmm. going to hear on MSNBC, um, I was having mental health difficulties. I got into therapy. I started eating better. I started exercising. Um, I started uh, fulfilling my life with uh, meaningful tasks that uh, you know made me feel good about myself. You always are going to hear the drug narrative. Um, why did my parents and why do so many parents feel it necessary to blame all of the dysfunction in the family on the kid. I, you, you would like to take the sociological um, tack. The only thing that's, my immediate response is simply, nobody wants to admit they're wrong. I think that's just an, an inherent aspect of human nature because it sucks. Then you have to entertain ideas of, well, if I'm wrong about that, am I wrong about other stuff? Am I absolutely worthless? Is my whole self-image going to be deconstructed by, um, you know, admitting one error. This is a universal characteristic. It's, I, I, you know, not to get too pretentious here, but I would say it's partly Darwinian. Um, but uh, yeah, no, my, my, my uh, most particularly abused individuals like both my parents could have an incredibly difficult time ever admitting the slightest error because they have been so systematically inculcated with the idea that they're crap, that any admission of even one error um, can just completely dissolve the, the, um, the entire edifice of their selfhood. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that, was, that, that was what was going on with them. And, you know, I'm, I, don't, I hate having to admit when I'm wrong. I do it, but it fucking sucks. And I'm sure you, you have the same experience, you know, when you're kid was uh, misdiagnosed with ADHD. I'm sure. And, you know, uh, the, the brilliant Marilyn Wedge said to you, if, if you want this to be, if you want to have a successful family, you're going to have to dig deeper than just um, get, getting the kid on drugs and not dealing with underlying issues. I'm sure there was a moment where you were like, well, crap, I have to admit I'm not doing something right. And this sucks. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in our case, our marriage, we almost divorced. Um, and, uh, it was, it was one of those turning points where I was like, well, wait, if this isn't working and there's anxiety and the kids feel it and all that stuff, then, 
I'm contributing to them not feeling safe, feeling distracted. You know, they're at school, they can't focus. It all made sense to me because I'd done a lot of work on myself already. And so had my wife, but Marilyn kind of put the bow on it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to go back to to the uh, medication. So at an early age, you were put on, was it Ritalin? Um, it was Ritalin and I can't give you a time frame because after being on so many drugs, I've been on more drugs than Jim Morrison. Um, all of these have kind of melded together into just one horrible drug trip. But yes, I, I believe it started with Ritalin and I did not tolerate Ritalin well. And they put me on Adderall and I seemed to be less terrible on that drug. So, so they were basically like, okay, he's distracted. He can't focus, can't learn. We got to calm him down. So he's on Ritalin. So you're you're in Ritalin, then on Adderall. So now you have your drug. You're the ADHD kid getting medicated. And what was the next sort of hurdle that you got to where another drug was added? What were the well, symptoms? I, just, I, I want everybody to, you know, th- th- literature is unequivocal. Uh, Adderall does not help academic performance. It gives, it can sometimes give kids the false sense that they're doing better academically, they feel better about their academics sometime. But the the actual the 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 empirical evidence is the grades don't improve. Um, it's it's just a bust, and they suffer often um, a panoply of uh, side effects, which um, psychiatrists immediately label as um, underlying psychiatric disorders that were there all the time, rather than just um, horrible consequences of being on these incredibly powerful stimulant drugs, which are basically like kiddie cocaine. That's not an exaggeration. They're incredibly powerful, mind-altering stimulants. Um, I can't remember. It probably would have been sixth or seventh grade that my... um, symptoms, which were a um, mix of PTSD and the side effects of the Adderall transmogrified into severe behavioral issues. Um, I mean, I already had behavioral issues, but they they got worse, um, more uh, anger towards my parents, especially my father. Um, And it was at that point that I probably got saddled with the label bipolar or there may be some, you know, very um, precious little uh, insubstantial taboo in psychiatry against labeling, excuse me, um, patients under the age of 18 bipolar as such, but they basically treat them as bipolar, even if they don't use that word, you know, as if that's such a concession. Um, So that was when I started getting on the, the SSRIs and the antipsychotics and just this is this this is this not just my story this is a story all the time a kid comes in with inability to concentrate issues he's put on adderall and before you know it but but within a decade he cycled through 30 40 fucking drugs like the entire um psychiatric armamentarium um and that that's my story and um when i yeah they never relieved my symptoms they always aggravated them and i i just um I I went full bipolar on these drugs and uh, mood swings. um, And you were how old at this time? Uh, Because this um, this would have been 12 or 13. 12 or 13. So you're 12 or 13. You're you're, you're bipolar or so they say. And you're going through these mood swings. And where are you at with your parents at that point? No, same same place. There there was no change. Um, I I just continued. It was really not until high school that um, 
through first first of all in high school i got big enough to defend myself from the physical abuse from my father and also through what turned out for me to be the wonderful um, hormonally programmed process of teenage uh, separation from parents, I got really fucking sick of my mother and just um, be being just basically an appendage of her uh, narcissism. And I started to actually sort, not really, but I sort of started to have a half-life of my own. Um, and that that is almost more than any other, um, those two single factors are probably why um, for the first two years of high school, I got pretty decent grades. I, I, for, I mean, here's it like all throughout school, like on these standardized tests, I would get these sky high scores, these just incredible scores. And it was just like, but he gets shitty grades. Like how the fuck is this happening? Um, so, I mean, they knew I wasn't an idiot, but I just, the, the, the grades in no way reflected intelligence. Um, so that the, the turning point was high school where I think the, the emotional burden was still there, but um, I, it was less. And therefore I was able to not be a complete wreck, at least for the first two years of high school. Um, it's important to mention just that um, this is an, a particularly important passage in my life. Um, and just and also, again, just goes to the systemic abuse of children in in this country and every country it's, it's better in say the Nordic countries where they aren't instantly medicated. I want to praise the Nordic countries, but child abuse is an epidemic. Don't make it just about me as a point. Um, these before high school, um, I was watching a movie with my mother, um, and I mouthed off to my father. Um, and he leapt across the room, got his hands around my throat and started strangling me. Um, it didn't stop and um, I couldn't breathe and I was on the point of losing consciousness. And then thankfully something in me um, told my, my, you know, body to, um, you know, activate my leg, press, press my foot into his stomach and push him off of me. And he fell backwards. Um, and I, yeah, but uh, so I survived, but it was an attempt on my life. Uh, it's the most, one of the most traumatic things. That and the death of my mother are the two probably most traumatic things that ever happened. Um, so anyway, I tell the therapist, the idiot therapist who's systematically re-traumatizing my mother uh, over 15 years reliving these horrible memories rather than, get, and um, also I, I make, you know, um, yeah, fully, aware that I'm uh, privy to everything that's going on in therapy. And my mother's telling me everything and saying next to nothing. Um, she also is treating me and my mother at the same time, which is completely unethical. It's not illegal, but it, it frankly ought to be. Um, it's just an absolute, that's uh, therapy and medical practice, therapy 101. You don't fucking do that. Um, so I tell the therapist that my father's tried to kill me. And the therapist, her name is Pamela Butler. She's still practicing in Mill Valley, California. She's still damaging um, kids, families, women, st still, uh, I'm sure, violating laws. Um, Pamela Butler does not report this to Child Protective Services because she's a far right wing moron. I'm talking Alex Jones right wing, incredible conspiracy theorist, um, who believes that Big Brother is such an omnipresent menace that it would be better to keep me in a home where a man has just tried to kill me than to uh, alert the authoritarian authorities. 
Um, so, and which by the way is a misdemeanor under California law. Um, she should have gone to jail for between six months and a year in jail. She also should have lost her license, but she didn't because I didn't tell anybody or apart from her. So anyway, medical establishment fails me again in yet another horrible way. Um, but despite that, I, that the, the fact that I managed to, um, well, that I survived the attack, um, I think was a, a turning point in the, the beginning of the end of the physical abuse. Um, I, I was getting too big for that to be viable. Um, so yeah. That, and this, this is like late teens or? No, this was 14, I was 14. 14, mid-teen, okay. And you ended up going to college yourself. How did you get yourself from that 14-year-old, from those circumstances, all the way to actually go to college? I mean, that's a pretty big feat. Well, before you make it sound too rosy, I dropped out after the first two years and I got terrible grades. But um, the, the story, so I, in, on, in answer to your question, Roman, I don't know because <laughs> I, how I got a 3.9 GPA whilst doing, I mean, I just felt terrible. Like junior year, my mother gets diagnosed with bone cancer. Senior year, the doctors tell it's terminal. So I do kind of start this downhill um, progression in my grades, uh, my junior year that culminates by the end of my senior year and my just being basically, my teachers are taking pity on me and excusing homework and stuff because I'm just shutting down. Um, but, um, yeah, somehow I managed to get a 3.9 despite um, a lot of challenges. So I get into UCSB, UC Santa Barbara. Um, my mother dies two or three months into my freshman year. Um, now, here, another th tons of people have parents die when they're in college. It sucks. It's terrible. But they don't completely fall apart. I did, and not surprisingly, because I was on all the drugs, um, which were already debilitating. Um, and... It was my, um, um, about a, the, the other thing too, while my mother was dying of bone cancer, my father was um, being physically abusive with her. Um, she, she had it in her pelvis, she had bone cancer in her pelvis and she had to be moved to use the bathroom and all kinds of things. She gradually was confined to room, one room in the house. She couldn't venture beyond there. It was just too painful. Um, and he would have to take her to the toilet and stuff. And he was very angry about that. And um, you know, there's no excuse for physical abuse, but I do understand why he was angry. I mean, he had, um, he had been in a loveless marriage for you know, over two decades. He had married a beautiful, uh, intelligent woman believing that she loved him. And when it all turned out that all of those years of suffering, all of the hope that she would one, you know, I mean, there, there was a brief period from, I don't know, about 2005 to 2008 between where my mother was better with him and they had a an okay relationship, but um, it, it was still just a major, um, it was just a terrible letdown, years and years of suffering, just so that this, this person who had inflicted so much needless misery on her husband and her kid um, was going to die prematurely at 59. Um, so that being said, he, you know, he, he I, I'm not exactly sure what he did. It's just when I would come into the room after he had moved her, she would be in just wailing in tears when nurses would move her she would not be in tears she would be uncomfortable but she would not be in tears i don't i, I believe it simply amounted to him moving her really roughly he would curse um what, whenever he had to move her just doing it was just wrathfully angry like he had been all my fucking life um but yeah that was abuse and um 
so anyway, I didn't, I wasn't particularly happy with him and, um, you know, I already wasn't happy with him. Um, but, uh, so my mother dies and a year after she dies, my father and I kind of agree that just, there's no point in us seeing each other again. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm all alone in this new city. Um, I'm on so many drugs that I can't, I, I, I don't want to leave my dorm room. I don't really want to talk to anybody because it's like, I, I have absolutely no ability to relate to the, um, you know, the, the, the ju jubilant novelty of freshman year when I'm just in my, my personal, oh, my mother died. Oh, and by the way, also my, my, my father and I, are, I, I'm, you know, basically orphaned. Um, so that's what's going on with me. Like, um, yeah, I just, again, had absolutely no ability to relate to the experiences of those around me. Um, and all the time, I'm still on the drugs all the time. I'm still fully bipolar. I'm still um, psychologically incapacitated, still suffering mood swings. So I um, get out of treatment. So um, I flunk out, I think, midway through my sophomore year. I'm surprised I even lasted that long. Uh, it was just pathetic, my academic performance. Um, and uh, I move into an apartment in Isla Vista, the, the big um, party neighborhood where I partied a total of probably two times um, my entire, the whole time I lived there. Um, and, uh, and for the next four years, I basically just live in this um, depressive haze of just uh, sleeping most of the day in this dark, uh, squalid apartment doing absolutely nothing except feeling sorry for myself. Um, and that was great facilitated by another incompetent therapist, not anywhere near as incompetent as Pamela Butler in Mill Valley, but um, still, still an incompetent therapist who um, for four years, and this, this should not just be an indictment of the Santa Barbara therapist, but a, a, you know, much of the therapeutic um, profession just sits there week after week, listening to me rant and rave about, oh, nobody's ever had it harder than me. I, mean, I didn't use those exact words, but I was incredibly narcissistic. These drugs make you narcissistic. They make you think that there is no hope and that nobody has ever suffered um, with the magnitude that you have and blah, 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 blah. And that's what I did for four years. Um, and the only suggestions she make, which are um, quite spasmodic, are maybe you should try a new psychiatrist. Maybe you should try new drugs. Um, and not. Uh, Nothing comes of it. I, I'm actually. I'm sorry. No, it got the the harder core. The psychiatrist, the new psychiatrist, got with the traditional bipolar meds, lithium, and I'm forgetting the names of the other of them. Just the the like um, the side effects were already terrible. But th those last bipolar meds, before I decided I just couldn't take it anymore, I had to get off everything. Um, it was just like the most unendurable mixture of akathisia and just rage and despair. I mean, I could, it was just like, um, it was, it, it was what it had been for 13 years, which was being systematically driven out of my mind. Now you're at the college, right? You're going through your own experience, your own bubble. You're at the apartment, you're depressive, suicidal. You can't get yourself up. Do you? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry, Roman. And honestly, yeah. I did attempt suicide at like 10 or 11. That's just to add to the mix. Please proceed. At 10 or 11? Wow. Yeah. And how, how did you even 
uh, I mean, I don't say how did you come to that, but how did you cross that bridge? Because it's a bridge to cross. You know, I really think that, I, I, and this again gets, I can't, it was right around the time that I went on the drugs. It might've been just before. So it could have been purely PTSD. That would have been enough. But um, I mean, I just, the other thing, I always had the sense that I should never have been born, that I was a burden to both my parents. I wonder how I got that uh, conclusion. Um, and uh, I think I just came to the conclusion that both of them would be better off if I just wasn't um, this, this uh, albatross hanging around their necks. Um, so I, I swallowed a bunch of my mother's antidepressants. I got very sleepy and you know, this was, I, I didn't have access to the internet to look up a lethal dose. So I just swallowed a bunch of antidepressants thinking that that was bye-bye. And I just woke up a few hours later feeling groggy. Um, but th yeah, that was. You're 11 years old. Yeah. That is the, the age of my oldest son right now. And I couldn't mm -hmm. possibly ever imagine that he would feel that much pain to check out of everything that's here, you know? Yep. So it, it, I hear you. Now, fast forward back to Santa Barbara. So you're, you're in this experience and do you see other kids? Do you pick up from other kids that they're going through similar spaces? No, Roman, because I'm in my apartment 24-7. I am not socializing with anybody. I am isolating completely. It is just me and the dodo therapist sitting there um, uh, mutely uh, listening to my narcissistic ravings. I, I have zero uh, contact with the outside world. I have zero, um, almost zero desire for contact with the outside world, mainly because I, I just... These drugs are making it incapable to feel any joy, any happiness, any con any emotional contrast. And, um, you know, it's just like I, I am even then I was not so self unaware as to think that people wanted to, um, you know, <laughs> hear me bitch 24 um, seven. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. So. Now you're at college and this is the time right later on when you started to kind of just have enough and uh, reading. Uh, how did you come across what had you actually look for this other side of psychiatry and medication, the other narrative, what I call the, the, the other sides to this mainstream narrative? You had to have some kind of a insight or a moment where you're like, you know what, let me go on YouTube. Let me listen to some other stuff like. You know, I, I, Roman, I, I, there wasn't any, um, you know, uh, clearly cleft inflection point. I, um, mm -hmm. So I, I, I want to, I, I never got re-enrolled in college. I, I took a few city college classes. I, I did barely okay in some of them, but I, you know, would drop out, re-enroll, drop out, re-enroll. Um, so I never got back into proper, you know, university, UCSB, college. Um, um, but the, the inflection point came uh, in... Um, probably no, November or December of 2015, where um, in November of 2015, I bought um, two bottles of champagne in the morning. I just woke up, I decided maybe it was time to end it all. I went to a bougie grocery store, bought two bottles of middle brow champagne, brought them home. Um, laid out all of the pills I had in the apartment, which, you know, were like, you know, over a hundred. Um, 
I just uncapped a bottle. I poured myself a glass and I, um, you know, sprinkled some pills into the palm of my hand. And uh, for whatever reason, I just couldn't do it. Um, I, I came that close, but I just couldn't do it. So I don't, th there wasn't, I was so far too incoherent and foggy and just um, useless to really have any clear mentation of maybe there are alternatives and maybe there, you know, I, I could do something differently. And, you know, maybe there's this other, I, I was out of it. There, there was zero coherent thinking. Um, and I, I believe, and I, I can't say this with any certainty, that I was just on YouTube, maybe researching bipolar disorder, researching the terrible disease that I would live with all my life. And then um, an alternative video suggestion came up that was for like Robert Whitaker or Peter Bregan. And I watched it and all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, okay, this, I mean, I mean, that sounds crazy. Like they're probably, they're probably not right, but maybe, and as I just kind of, as it saturated, it seeped into um, my consciousness that maybe, may, maybe they were right. Maybe I, uh, maybe all of this is just, uh, maybe this is bullshit. Um, may, excuse me, maybe the, the psychiatric paradigm of mental illness is bullshit. Um, uh, gradually took its effect. And um, I think after uh, thinking about it for a couple months, um, I just, I reached the point in February of, um, 2016, I made the most important decision of my life, which was, um, I'm going to withdraw from the drugs. And I don't want anybody to think like this was, it's, this was some kind of, you know, Henry the fifth King Arthur grand moment where I stand against the, you know, I just have this resolution that I'm going to battle the enemy. It was, it was really just a desperate, like, what the hell? Maybe this will work. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Um, there was absolutely no certainty there. And uh, there was no, it was not bravery that um, um, forced my hand. It was desperation. I was just out of options. Um, yeah. I withdrew from the drugs and pretty much immediately the mood swings ceased. Um, the, the, the really extreme uh, emotional reactivity ceased. I was still damaged. I still had major um, unresolved complex PTSD. I still felt like shit, um, but the, um, the, the the really severe psycho psych bipolar psychosis um, disappeared. Now, did you just wean yourself off the drugs? No, I did something very dangerous and stupid. I uh, just cut them off completely, which can kill you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And certainly all the psychologists or psychiatrists warn you, obviously you should never stop, you know, cold turkey. Um, I can relate because I, I tried out Ritalin and Adderall recently for this project. And I just, you know, went on it, went off it, went on it, went off it whenever I felt like it. And I was fine. I knew I would be fine. I'm a healthy guy. Uh, but I hear of a lot of horror stories. And so you were just like so tired of it. You're like, fuck it, I'm done. Yep. That's it. And looking back, if I were to ask you now, like, what is a mental disorder? Why does it exist? What would you say to someone? Because uh, you had just mentioned the uh, psychiatric view of, of, of mental disorders. Like, what, what is it? That question, Roman, is at the heart of this whole debate and this whole societal dys dysfunction. I just want to really thank you for posing that question. That, that is the nub of everything we're talking about. Mental illness is a manifestation 
of psychosocial dysfunction. Mental illness is um, an, uh, uh, an instance of a dysfunctional family system, a dysfunctional um, social system. It, it is the individual responding to his environment and his circumstances. It, it is you, uh, rather than the psychiatric model, which isolates the individual, ignores the environment, and invents this fictitious um, uh, biochemical um, dysregulation. The, the reality is that there, there is something wrong in the way that the individual is interacting with his immediate surroundings and the way the immediate surroundings are interacting with him or her that give rise to um, emotional disturbance. Mm, well said, yeah. For me, I've always felt, you know, when our son got diagnosed, it was this like little voice inside of me that said like, I think this is bullshit, you know, and I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, really, my son... My son was diagnosed with autism, ADHD, dyslexia, oh, tic disorder. There's six, of, six words that had disorder at the end. And my <laughs> wife and I, thank God it was six because it was so overwhelmingly stupid that we were like, this, this can't be true. Like, what, yeah. you know, had it just been like mild ADHD, we might have gone for the trip. You know, yeah. we might have gone for the scam and been like, oh, shit, this is really probably just some pill and he'll be fine. Uh, what would you say to parents out there right now? Because you and I know that this very second, somewhere in the world, probably in this country right now, uh, a few dozen children are diagnosed. There's some meetings happening right now where a psychologist walks in and says, uh, guys, it's confirmed your son has a disorder. What would you say to those parents? What could they do as a first, more holistic approach or step uh, to not go down the same road the rabbit hole uh craze that you had to go through yeah i would say see a family systems theory therapist see a therapist that um who, who's i mean i i would i would say see a therapist who does not believe in any way shape or form in medicating kids but in in this day and age when that is just like a fucking unicorn it's like marilyn wedge and five other people um a, a more realistic um entreaty would be see a family systems theory therapist who does not believe the drug should be a first um, recourse for um, um, pediatric behavioral issues. Um, and the other thing I would, um, yes, see if, and, and have humility, have humility to entertain the possibility that you could be fallible, um, that you're human, which is, as I, as I said before, is unbelievably difficult. Um, but the other thing I do want to just, um, Point out here is that you know any logician will tell you um, to hear this podcast and hear my one story, my my one human being on a planet of seven billion, um, and to infer from that that um, mine is the, the the complete story of uh, psychiatry and pediatric psychiatry, and that um, my, mine can be extrapolated. My story can be extrapolated to. Um, provide uh, scientific irrefutable proof of the uh, total invalidity of psychiatry would be the fallacy of anecdote. That's, that's anecdotal thinking and it's crap. So do not just take my word for it, please, I beg of you. Read Anatomy of an Epidemic. Read the science. Read these unbelievably um, distorted studies which are funded by pharma money where they, um, they the, the so-called placebo groups are put on medication after one or two weeks. They're not really placebo, but they're reported as placebo. Read this, the, the analyses of these BS uh, pharma-funded studies 
where um, the placebo group members who do well and are, sh are shown to be really doing much better um, than medicated groups after one to two weeks are filtered out of the study to um, dampen the success stories of the placebo group. I mean, these are, these, this, is, this is beyond junk science. It is junk science, but it's worse. It's just fraud. It's just flat out lies. It's, this is just more um, corporate chicanery. This is not little different from the Wall Street derivatives um, um, rigmarole that um, uh, um, financial executives pulled. This is just corporate fraud. We've seen it a zillion times. And um, yeah, do, do not take my word for it. I am just one individual. Read Anatomy of an Epidemic. Read the um, rigorous um, uh, medical an, uh, analysis of psychiatry from Peter Bregan. Read David Healy's work, the Irish psychiatrist who has um, uh, in, in gr gory detail um, uh, recounted the stories of countless people who have gone on these drugs, perfectly normal, boring people who have never had a violent thought in their life, and they go on these drugs, and out of nowhere, they kill their spouses. Um, read the experts. I am not an expert. I, I'm just one survivor. And um, I don't want, I, this should be a beginning rather than the totality of what your listeners should um, take away from the anti-psychiatry movement. I love that. And that reminds me always of the ending of the matrix, you know, where I'm butchering it, but it's something like, I'm not here to tell you how it's going to go, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that this, this starts here and it goes somewhere. Right. Um, right. But so in terms of, um, you know, predictions, I want to just kind of switch slightly out of context, but still related, obviously, what do you feel like if we were to continue medicating our children at, at these rapid rates, uh, you know, it's increasing every year um, for, for, let's just say, ADHD, for other kind of, you know, mental disorders with stimulant drugs, like what could possibly happen in the future when all these children grow up and, and become adults? What, could, what effect on society could this have? Well, you, you don't need to ask me to predict because we're already seeing it in the number of uh, people who as adults, uh, who as children are medicated for these um, illusory diseases and as adults go on SSDI and never work a day in their lives. Um, you, we, the, the number of disabled Americans has abs excuse me, um, seen an absolutely exponential increase in the past um, three decades since uh, Prozac came on the market, I believe in 1988, it may have been 1987, um, 1987 or 88, since what Robert Whitaker in his book calls the second pharmacological revolution. The first was in 1954 with the introduction of Thorazine, the second came with Prozac. Um, we have seen SSDI and uh, disability rates absolutely soar. We were having just a uh, huge segment of my generation and iGen, iGen is coming next. Um, just screwed for life, um, li living off the government dole. And, you know, I, I'm a progressive, you know, I, I believe in welfare capitalism. I love welfare, but, um, you know, this is, this, these are not happy lives. Um, this is, this is so much um, incredible potential that's being squandered um, so that pharmaceutical companies can get rich uh, selling consumers bullshit science and destroying families. And yeah, so what, what's coming for this, What's coming? We've already seen it in millennials. I'm a millennial. I I, I am um, very very much. Uh, what what's the? Uh, I am a kind of a uh, in many. I, I'm a metaphor for my entire generation's interaction with um, 
the psychiatric profession. What's coming for iGen? Much, much the same thing we're seeing with millennials. Mass disability, mass misery, mass suffering, total dysfunction. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's not good. Yeah, and, and I certainly share that with you as well, that uh, I always joke around. I said, if you want to uh, be in the job or the career of the future where there's going to be a high demand, get into the mental health space. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> we're going to, you know, we're, or pharma, I guess, uh, you know, on the darker side. But we're, we're going to need some help. And I think uh, I just want to thank you for, for so uh, vulnerably and openly share your story because I think the more people that share their story so openly, uh, the, 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 the taboo is going to come down more and more to say, look, we all have trauma. We all fucked up. We all are not perfect. We're all trying to cover it up with, oh, no, no, everything's fine over here. But until we crack that and until we realize to, it, what it means to be human is to, to be able to be there in the face of trauma and to help each other heal, right? So... Yeah. So your story, I just, uh, I just feel uh, my hopes are that, that someone out there, one person out there goes, you know what, I'll check out those alternative, uh, what the mainstream calls fringe sources, and I'll see if it speaks to my heart and my soul, not to my mind, because the mind usually has been brainwashed by mainstream. And when I say brainwashed, I really mean conditioned. It's not like some evil plan. It's just... I if I may, I actually don't. Yeah, think, I don't think the term uh, "brainwashed" is in any way hyperbolic. I, I just it, it, we are constantly in this like bath of um, the su psychic supersaturation of pharma propaganda. We see it in the ads every night we watch TV. It's on the internet, on you know the web pages we like to visit. It's everywhere. It yeah. is mass brainwashing, and yeah. it's incredibly difficult to um, confront and interrogate because it's just so ingrained in the minds of every person who consumes media of any kind in this country. So yeah, I, I thank you for saying that. Yeah. And I think I always want to change the term from brainwashing to brain uh, dirtying because <laughs> yeah. when you wash something, it's clean and nice. But what, what's happening to us is we're put these, these little dirty particles are being you know blasted into our brains every day so i think it's time yep. for us to actually brainwash ourselves to get ourselves off of that mainstream uh you know like you said it uh, you know you follow the money and we see who's benefiting from this and and it's not dr evil it's just uh, a bunch of big companies that need to uh, make keep their stockholders uh, happy right, right? So again, uh, uh, thank you for your, your time and your, uh, you know, your willingness to share this story. And, and perhaps we can do a, a, a part two at some point down the road, you know, check in with each other. But uh, that would be fantastic. As of now, we're going to uh, put some of the, the books you mentioned, uh, perhaps also the, the Vice uh, article and things like that in the show notes when this gets released. So and yeah, and please, please uh, also to your listeners, um, if, if a book is just too much of a commitment as of now, please visit the Mad in America uh, website. It has um, authors of all kinds of um, uh, ideological backgrounds contributing to this just unbelievably important resource online. I cannot enough praise um, the Mad in America blog uh, founded by the, the great Robert Whitaker. That's great. Well, thank you, Ian, for your time, and uh, until next time. All right. Thank you so yeah. much.